launching into another week of fun and excitement, you could take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. As always, it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Dot com. Over the past few days, we've been speculating wildly about the D.C. Madam case, and today they did finally release her uh, her suicide notes. Okay. And lots of uh, interesting evidence has pointed to prior claims of hers that she was not indeed suicidal. As I suggested, it, it certainly was possible things can change. Uh, and so the notes have been released, and make of them what you will. ABC News has a, a story about it, so we'll share that with you. Deborah Jean Palfrey, the so-called D.C. madam, took her own life last week because she could not bear going to prison. She told her mother in a suicide note that she left on her nightstand. The, uh, the note said, I cannot live the next six to eight years behind bars for what both you and I have come to regard as this modern-day lynching, Palfrey wrote. Florida police released the notes to the media Monday morning. Poffrey said she didn't want to face leaving prison as a penniless and very much a lone woman. Poffrey was scheduled to be sentenced in July after a jury in Washington, D.C. found her guilty of money laundering, racketeering, and using the mail for illegal purposes. In connection with a prostitution ring, she ran from 1993 to 2006. After spending millions of taxpayer dollars on an investigation and trial, Palfrey was the only person charged in the case by prosecutors. Several well-known men were reportedly clients of her service. Former U.S. Agency for International Development Chief Randall Tobias and Senator David Vitter both admitted to being former clients of her escort service. Neither man was charged, nor were they asked to testify at her trial. According to the director of the Sex Workers Project, uh, this is Juhu Thukral. She says our government and community should think about the ultimate goal here. She engages in legal advocacy for sex workers. Poffrey left behind two notes, one for her mother and the other for her younger sister. She told both women that she loves them very much and that she'll be waiting for each of them on the other side. Uh, what did this prosecution accomplish, asks the Kral. Look at the lives destroyed. And indeed, that is an excellent question to ask. Uh, it says here in the story that millions of taxpayer dollars were spent on the investigation and the trial. And all you've got now is a dead woman on your hands. Was that worth the millions of taxpayer dollars? Uh, it, it, did it stop prostitution in Washington, D.C.? Not at all. Did it slow it down? Nope. I mean, maybe for a few days... But I, I just, you know, it seems to me that if you're looking for a prostitute in Washington D.C. from the supply, uh, from demand side here, um, and uh, Deborah Jean Palfrey's organization has just been busted up, maybe you would think, hmm, this might not be the week for it. But next week or the week after, yeah. you're thinking, hmm, time to get a prostitute, and you're just going to call up one of the other um, agencies. Clearly, nothing happened to uh, Vitter and what was the other gentleman's name? I can't remember. Oh, the guys? Yeah, yeah the, the guys. The guys? Nothing happened nope. to them. Uh, you know, nothing from a legal standpoint, I don't at least. think much happened to the girls, either, in, in the case. Whoever it was that was working for her. I never heard anything about that. I, I'm really interested in what this woman did, to whom she did it, and, uh, you know, like, uh, all of that stuff. Because they just went after her. Yeah, that's right. And they spent your money on this, and it was just a total waste. Uh now she's not even alive anymore to serve her time as though she needs to serve any time in a prison cell for what she did. All she did, if anything, was 
help men find women that were willing to spend a little bit of their time with them for a little bit of money. Well, maybe in some cases a lot of money, but that's their business. And so, really, it's none of your business what goes on behind closed doors. It's none of the federal government's business either. So why this continues on is just, I mean, as as she said in, in her note, that this is absolutely, it's just a, what was the term she used here? Which Modern one? day lynching. Oh. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely right. Deborah Jean Palfrey was not a criminal. She was only a criminal by the law in that there were words written that said what she was doing was bad. And so she should be punished. But from what I can tell, she just engaged in a free market transaction. Just trading money for a little bit of time. Or actually, in her case, she was just organizing people trading money for time. Right. I'm sure that she, you know, uh, what I would imagine, if I were running a, uh escort service, mm-hmm. the way that I would do it would be, um, look, ladies, you guys can do whatever you want to do for your tips. That's up to you. What I do... Just don't tell me about it. I set up escorts, d- dates, mm-hmm. for you and your clients. Guys that want dates... I've got girls that are willing to date for money. That's what I do. If you do something beyond that and you get paid for it, that's your business. And that was her viewpoint. That was what she told her ladies. Can you imagine? I can't imagine anybody would set up a business otherwise. Now, maybe you would take somebody in the back office and say, look, you're not doing things that clients wish to have done. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the business of making clients happy. Yeah. Okay? So... I'm going to take you off the rolls unless you're willing to do to make clients happy. You know, I, I can see like some back office conversation mm-hmm. like this, but I, you know, I, I would say that mostly, you know, it's this sort of gray market prostitution thing, and and and, and it's done everywhere. Is all you have to do is look in the phone books. Sure is right, and so this was completely unnecessary and such a tragic story, and so sad that it had to end this way. But either way, it would have been a sad ending. Whether she'd spent six to eight years in prison or she took her own life, either way would have been, you know, maybe close to equally as tragic. They're both awful uh, ends for Ms. Palfrey, and now she's gone from this earth. So, how unfortunate. Mm. Let's go to your phone calls unscreened to the amp line. Who's this? You're on Free Talk hey, Live. Ziggy. Ziggy in the UK. What's on your mind? Okay. First of all, I have to say about this, this uh, prostitution case in, in D.C., I wonder, did she cross anyone in Congress? It's a good question. Or she might have crossed, you know, you know she could have crossed a prosecutor or she could have crossed anybody. Who knows? Uh, anyways, I was ringing you up to tell you today, um, one of the um, results from last uh, week's elections here is that uh, the far right um, BNP party have won a seat on the London Assembly. Okay. And I'm starting to question democracy itself. Because, you know, people are protesting, obviously, and they're using their protest vote to vote for, you know, the far right. And before they know it, the far right, you know, get a foothold in democracy. And to be honest, I don't even really want to call them the far right. They're just bigoted socialists. Okay. Um, you know, you get progressive socialists and you get bigoted socialists. <laughs> and That's your choice over there? Are, yeah, basically. And basically, at the moment, the bigoted socialists are the ones who are getting all the protest votes. Yeah, everyone wants to blame immigration and, you know, Muslims for, for, for the holes they find themselves in. And 
course, you know, there's a party to capitalize on, on, on people's frustrations. We have the same thing here. They call them illegal immigrants here, and uh, they're mostly Mexican and or uh, Hispanic. Yeah, uh, basically. But the problem with what people don't realize is that these people... They are, you know, the most, you know, okay, you have Islamic fascists, um, but you also have, you know, white fascists, mm-hmm. and basically, you know, these these people are, you know, they 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 they're not just going to kick the immigrants out and kick the Muslims out if they got their way. They would start beating up on Jews, the disabled, women, anyone, you know, who they can just blame for, you know, the world not being according to them. Or not going as, as as it should be to them. Yeah, well, they got to scape, uh, scapegoat somebody because it couldn't possibly be the government's fault. Yeah. It has to be the immigrants I, I always, or the Muslims. I always or... think that poem by pa- uh, Pastor Martin Martin Niemöller. Uh, you know, first they came for the first they came for the Jews. I was not Jewish, so I did not say anything. I think he read it out the other day. Yeah, that's what's happening over here. You know, first they came for the drug users, then they came for the immigrants. Now they're coming for the religious exactly. sects. It's happening. It is happening, and it's so it's so sad to see most America just asleep at the wheel as their freedoms continue to be flushed down the drain. I I could I uh, I absolutely would tell you Ziggy to continue to question democracy because it's a crappy deal. Uh, two wolves and a yep. sheep deciding on dinner. Thank you for the call tonight, sir. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. You know when politicians are crowing about how great democracy is, it can't be good for the rest of us, right? That should tell you something. The lips are moving. Yeah. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. You bring up whatever you want. Talk Live. Bring up anything via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the Sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us, including the bulletin board system, over 340,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about, serious issues to fun stuff. You'll find it all for free at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Are you thinking about starting a business? Here's a word to the wise. Incorporate at LegalZoom.com. Incorporation can help protect you against frivolous lawsuits that can wipe you out. LegalZoom.com is fast and easy. They do all sorts of legal documents, patents, wills, trademarks. You can use code FTL to save 10 bucks off your order. That's LegalZoom.com. FTL. 1-800-259-9231. So, the story here from the New York Times... Word spread quickly inside the windowless walls of the Elizabeth Detention Center, an immigration jail in New Jersey. A detainee had fallen, injured his head, and become incoherent. Guards had put him in solitary confinement, and later that night, an ambulance had taken him away, more dead than alive. But outside for five days, no official notified the family of the detainee, Babuka Ba, a 52-year-old tailor from Guinea who overstayed a tourist visa. When frantic relatives located him at a university hospital in Newark on February 5, 2007, he was in a coma after emergency surgery for a skull fracture and multiple brain hemorrhages. He died there four months later without ever waking up, leaving family members on two continents trying to find out why. Mr. Ba's name is one of 66 on a government list of deaths that occurred in immigration custody from January 2004 to 2007, November, when nearly a million people passed through. The list, uh, compiled by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, 
after Congress demanded the information and obtained by the New York Times under the Freedom of Information Act, is the fullest accounting to date of deaths in immigration detention, a patchwork of federal centers, county jails, and privately run prisons that's become the nation's fastest growing form of incarceration. That's kind of an interesting little statistic there. What that the illegal immigrants are becoming the fastest form yeah. of our incarceration. Probably it used, you know, probably uh, drug users are still the most incarcerated, I would guess. Right, but the fastest growing is no place to be. Nope. Uh, the list list has few details and often they're unreliable, but it serves as a rough road map to previously unreported cases like Mr. Boz, and it reflects a reality that haunts grieving families like his. The difficulty of getting information about the fate of people taken into immigration custody even when they die. Mr. Baugh's relatives never saw the internal records labeled proprietary information not for distribution by the Corrections Corporation of America, which runs the New Jersey Detention Center for the federal government. The documents... Stock market uh, CCS, I believe. The documents detail how he was treated by guards and government employees, shackled and pinned to the floor of the medical unit as he moaned and vomited, then left in a disciplinary cell for more than 13 hours, despite repeat notations that he was unresponsive and intermittently foaming at the mouth. Mr. Ba had lived in New York for a decade, surrounded by a large circle of friends and relatives. The extravagant, extravagant gowns he sewed to support his wife and children in West Africa were on a display in a Manhattan boutique. But he died in a sequestered system where questions about what had happened to him or even to his whereabouts were met with silence. As the country debates stricter enforcement of immigration laws, thousands of people who are not American citizens are being locked up for days, months, or years, while the government decides whether to deport them. Some have no valid visa, some are legal residents, but have past criminal convictions, others are seeking asylum from persecution. Death is a reality in any jail, and the medical neglect of inmates is a perennial issue. But far more than the criminal justice system, immigration detainees and their families lack basic ways to get answers when things go wrong. It's basically you're just cut off. If you go into this immigration system, good luck anybody being able to get a hold of you or to find out what's going on with you. No government body is required to keep track of deaths and public uh, and publicly report them. No independent inquiry is mandated. And often relatives who try to investigate the treatment of those who died say they are stymied by fear of immigration authorities, lack of access to lawyers, or sheer distance. Federal officials say deaths are reviewed internally by the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, which reports them to its inspector general and decides which ones warrant investigation. Officials say they notify the detainees next of kin or consulate and report the deaths to local medical authorities who may conduct autopsies. In Mr. Baugh's case, a review before his death found no evidence of foul play, an immigration spokesbureaucrat said, though after later inquiries from the Times, he said a full review of the death was underway. But critics, including many in Congress, say this piecemeal process leaves too much to the agency's discretion, allowing some deaths to be swept under the rug while potential witnesses are transferred or deported. They say it also obscures underlying complaints about medical care, abusive conditions, or inadequate suicide prevention. In January, the House passed a bill that would require states to receive certain, that receive certain federal money to report the deaths in custody to their attorneys general, but the bill is stalled in the Senate and doesn't cover federal facilities. The only tangible result of congressional concern has been the list of 66 deaths, which names Mr. Ba and many other detainees for the very first time, but raises as many questions as it answers. For Mr. Ba's survivors, the mystery of his death is hard to bear. In Guinea, his first wife, Delanda, wept as she spoke about the contradictory accounts that had reached her and her two teenage sons through other detainees, including some who speculated that Mr. Ba had been beaten.
In New York, a cousin who's an American citizen, Kadit Tauba, said she was unable to bring a lawsuit in part because other relatives were afraid of antagonizing the authorities. She said they don't want to push the case or maybe they'll be sent home. This mm. guy was killed and we don't know what happened. Mm. So you've got a family here that really would like to know what happened to their loved one, a 52-year-old man who was a tailor, not, you know, certainly no violent criminal. He overstayed a, a visa, and they put him in a detention center to where he was not able to really contact the outside world. Then he, he dies. They transfer him to a hospital. The family barely even knows about it. And now they would like to get answers, but they're, they're so scared. frightened of the power of the immigration authorities that if they push a little too hard with an investigation, that the hammer of the state might come down upon them. And it might just. That, well, certainly. What's to prevent it from? I mean, if they come and they round you up in the middle of the night and accuse you of being an, an immigration detainee, what can you do? It, w- what if they revoke your visa just like that and which uh, they can do it's probably within their purview and then at that point once it's revoked you're you've overstayed it additionally the list of do you think a government agency has never doesn't even regularly go after people that that bother them that are politically unfavorable i mean when your name shows up on their radar they're going to start checking on you the list of deaths where Mr. Ba's name surfaced is often cryptic. Uh, so of those 66, along with 13 deaths cited as suicides and 14 as the result of cardiac ailments, it offers such causes as undetermined mm-hmm. and unwitnessed arrest epilepsy. No one's nationality is given, some places of detention are omitted, and some names and birth dates seem garbled. As a result, many families couldn't even be tracked down to write the article here. But when they could be, they posed more disturbing questions. In California, relatives of Walter Rodrigo Castro, who's 28, said they were rebuffed when they tried to find out why his calls had stopped coming from the Kern County Jail in Bakersfield in 2006. Then, in June of 2006, his wife went to his scheduled hearing in San Francisco's immigration court and learned that he'd been dead for many weeks, his body unclaimed by the county morgue. How awful. The coroner found that Mr. Rodriguez Castro, a mover from El Salvador in the country illegally, had died of undiagnosed meningitis and HIV after days complaining of a fever, stiff neck, and vomiting. The cause of death on the government's list? Unresponsive. More on the way. Medicine in prison isn't exactly the highest form of medicine. 800-259-9231 about the, the people who are just dying that nobody even knows about. What happens if they disappear you next? It's time to pick a candidate, a serious candidate for president, and start moving forward. That candidate is George Phillies. This is George Phillies, Libertarian for President. I approved of this message, paid for by Phillies 2008. This is Free Talk Live. Bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. They include live streams. We've got a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version. Both are free for you. Just go to freetalklive.com and enjoy those on us. That's freetalklive.com. President Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, John McCain, the North American Union, a national ID card, or unconstitutional gun and drug laws. What's your trigger point? If it happens, what will you do? The Free State Project knows that one size does not fit all. Participants choose what event will trigger their move to New Hampshire and join the fight for freedom. Check it out at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. 
org. We're talking about people uh, moving around, talking about immigration, and what happens to those who have been plucked off of the streets of the United States by the federal or state or local governments accused of being an illegal immigrant and placed into a detention facility where, according to the New York Times, they're kept for uh, days to weeks to months, maybe even longer than that, as the government determines whether or not to send them back to their country or to let them go or to charge them or whatever it is it's determining about these people. And in that time, inevitably, stuff's going to happen to these folks. And as it turns out, there are at least 66 people that have died in the hands of these uh, federal and state government immigration uh, bureaucrats. Right. Where, where people um, are, there are going to be deaths. You know, sure. It just, it just happens. And uh, to some extent, you know, prison certainly is more violent than uh, the real world. So the deaths probably happen more likely in prison. Maybe so, but one of the things about uh, the differences between regular prison and these immigrant detention centers is there seems to be, at least from what I can tell, a bit more communication between regular prisoners and their families and friends on the outside. Uh, in these cases, they are able to communicate, but sometimes they just go off the map entirely, as what uh, as happened with um, a man named Mr. Ba. He uh, I don't have the first name in front of me at this point, but uh, it was a uh, foreign jumble, foreign gentleman uh, who's a 52-year-old tailor in New York City. He disappeared from the system, and his family had no idea what had happened to him. Later, they discovered that he was in a coma in the hospital. He never awoke from that coma, and he's not the only case. On this list of 66 names that the uh, the immigration department begrudgingly put together for Congress, and which was retrieved by the New York Times, on this list of names, many of the reasons for death are unsighted, and some of the names are even garbled to the point where you couldn't recognize them if you were looking for someone that you knew on that list. Well, with the guy, with with the way this guy's name was, and I I don't remember what it was either, but. You know, it's it's an alphabet soup um, sort yeah. of name, and, and yeah, no doubt it's it's garbled. Well, immigration authorities said on Friday that uh, one man who died, a different different man, uh, Mr. Rodriguez Castro, a 28-year-old man, had died of undiagnosed meningitis and HIV after days of complaining of fever, stiff neck, and vomiting. But he, like the other gentleman, had disappeared from the system, and his family was unable to to get in touch with him. Immigration authorities said on Friday that the case was now under review, but it would not answer questions about the other deaths on the list or that particular case. According to the spokes bureaucrat for the jail, said the death had been promptly reported to immigration officials who were responsible for no, notifying families. So it's the old, you know, well, it's not my responsibility. Oh, he died. We reported it to the immigration department. Looks like they dropped the ball. Not my fault. Four sons in another family in Sacramento described trying for days to get medical care for their father, Maya Nand, a 56-year-old legal immigrant from Fiji at a detention center run by the Corrections Corporation in Arizona. Mr. Nand, an architectural, uh, architectural draftsman, had been ailing when he was taken into custody in 2005, apparently because his application for citizenship had been rejected, based on an earlier conviction for misdemeanor domestic violence. God. In collect calls, his son said he told them that despite his chest pains and breathing problems, doctors at the detention center didn't take his condition seriously. Now, doctors at a, uh, at a detention center like this, I'm sure there are some good ones. I'm sure there are some good guys out there. But the fact is, as good as they are, they just don't have the same incentives that a regular doctor has. They are not punished if somebody loses their life. They're not punished if a sickness spreads. You know, they, they're they pretty 
cozy in their bureaucratic position. Right, and this is one of those positions, um, one of the, one of the few out there, where a um, you know a doctor in a prison is paid less than a doctor on the streets. In, in most you know bureaucratic positions, a person who uh, occupies that position is is paid more than his than their market counterpart. The, yeah, than the market counterpart. But in this case. Um, you know, at least this is what I heard in prison, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, the doctors paid less because, well, I don't know, they they just don't care that much, I guess. Um, so the yeah, I would say that the doctors probably aren't as good. According to the Corrections Corporation, he said uh, they said that the man had been seen and treated multiple times, but a letter to the family from an immigration official said his treatment was for a respiratory infection. The letter said that Mr. Nand was taken to an emergency room where congestive heart failure was diagnosed and that he had suffered an apparent heart attack while at the hospital. So, respiratory infection or a heart attack. And and um, you know what what treatment what constitutes treatment in these places isn't always uh, the highest at the highest levels. You know, I mean, it's so often you walk in, they give you a bottle of cough syrup or uh, some antiseptic and, and and go on. Now the gentleman that we talked about earlier, Babuka, here's his first name, Babuka Bar or Ba rather, had more going for him than many of the the detainees. He had a lawyer. And many friends and relatives in the United States. I mean, he'd been there for 10 years up until they find, you know, he missed a date on one of his visas, right? So he'd been in the States for a long time and had a, a nice circle of uh, acquaintances and friends. And his detention center in New Jersey was one of the few frequented by immigrant advocates. But still, three days after he suffered a head injury in detention last year, no one in his New York circle knew that he was lying comatose in a Newark hospital where he'd already been identified as a possible organ donor. So it's not that they didn't know who he was. They knew who he was, and they knew he was even connected to some people, but they didn't bother to tell anybody. Thank you for the referral, said an organ-sharing network on uh, February of 2007, according to hospital records. This patient is a potential candidate for organ donation once brain death criteria is met. <laughs> Four days after the fall, tipped off by a detainee who called Mr. Ba's roommate in Brooklyn, relatives rushed to the detention center to ask the Corrections Corporation's employees where he was. They wouldn't give us any information, according to an American citizen who teaches physics at a community college and is married to his cousin. On the fifth day, they said, a detention official called them with the name of the hospital. Then, there there they found Mr. Ba on life support, still in custody, with a detention guard around the clock. There was one guard who knew Bobukar. He told me on the down low, this guy, you have to fight for him. This guy was neglected. So one of the guards on the inside, is that's what he told one of the family members when they finally found their loved one, mm. was that, hey, you should know something's going on with this guy. But what can you do? As we said earlier, the family members are frightened to death of doing anything at all in regards to getting justice for Many this. of them are immigrants themselves, and they're, they're concerned that uh, their, their immigration status is going to be messed with. At that point, what do you do? The guy's dead. Within the week, word of the case reached a reporter at the Times through an immigration lawyer who'd received separate calls from two detainees. They were upset about a badly injured man left in an isolation cell and later found near death. But advocacy groups said they were unaware of the case. Spokesman for ICE said that without the man's full name and eight-digit alien registration number, I didn't even know they had that, he could not check the information. For those who knew Mr. Ba, it was hard to understand how such a man could lie dying without explanation. According to a friend, uh, a fellow tailor, he said everybody liked Bobuka. He was a very, very good man. 
For six years, he'd worked uh, for a clothing store in the West Village, sewing dresses that sold for up to $2,000. He spent Sundays in the Bronx townhouse and his cousins had, that his t- cousins had inherited from the family's first American citizen. In Africa, Mr. Ba's earnings not only supported his first wife, sons, and ailing mother, but in Guinean tradition allowed him to wed a second wife long distance. It was his longing to see them at all again after eight years that landed him in detention. When he returned from a three-month visit to Guinea in May 2006, immigration authorities at Kennedy Airport told him his green card application had been denied while he was away, automatically revoking his permission to re-enter the United States. An immigration lawyer hired by his friends was unable to reopen the application while Mr. Ba waited for nine months in detention. He was just trying to come back to the country that he knew as his home for years of his life, and he was taken into detention where he died nine months later and they didn't bother telling anyone. Is this the America you want to live in? Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the Sickle CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. If you enjoy the show, want to help support Free Talk Live, shop with us at the store. Just go to store.freetalklive.com. Order great Free Talk Live branded merchandise. Have it delivered to your door and look good and feel good because you're helping support the show. Go to store.freetalklive.com. And also we've got non-wearable merchandise including DVD, classic archive, collector's sets, and more. So get all that. Store.freetalklive.com. There's actually more to this story. We'll post the link to the full story on the Free Talk Live BBS if you want to read more about this awful, awful case of a 52-year-old man who had spent years of his life here in America legally, and then all of a sudden they decided to pull his visa or permit or whatever the hell they call it for him to be here. And when he returned to the country uh, off a trip to see his family in Africa, he returned to America. They told them, sorry, you can't be here anymore, and they put him into a detention center. Months later, his family had lost contact with him, and they after a lot of searching, managed to find out that he was laying in a Newark hospital in in a coma, uh, and they hadn't been told about it. And that's where he died. He never got to see any of his family ever again. He never woke up from the coma. And it's just yet another tragic story, uh, one that happens to be told because... Congress happened to order and uh, like a list of people that have died in the custody of the ICE guys, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which wasn't really a very detailed list and kind of a almost next to useless list for some of the names on it. But uh, this was one of the men on that list, and who knows what the stories of all of the other 65 are. But the purpose in bringing this up is to, number one, give you some idea of just how inhumane this whole immigration system is that that is uh, in existence in this country, but also to bring up the point that one of the reasons why it's so bad, beyond the fact that government doesn't have an incentive to care about people in general, but they have even less of incentive to to, uh, to care about immigrants. Because if it was you, Mark, that went into a prison cell, well, you're an American citizen, and so therefore you have access to more than most of these... I'm more of a human being than they are. Well, according to the system, that pretty much is the way it works. I don't agree with it. I think everybody's a human being. They should be treated equally, and people should be able to cross borders freely, and that's that's a whole other issue. But, I mean, just look at the the level of... uh, 
Just, Especially these people, most of them, you know, if you've uh, outstayed your visa in this case, uh, as this gentleman did, Ba. Yeah, um, Mr. Ba. They had let him in. You know, they, they at one point they said this guy was good enough to be here. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason they decided he wasn't. Yeah, well, you know, the paperwork didn't get crossed in the right place or dotted or signed or didn't get turned in in time and can be dire consequences for that crap when you're dealing with the government. But you, when you go into the system as an immigrant, you don't have the same rights that other people do. Yeah, you can acquire a lawyer for yourself, but if you hit your head on the toilet, as you, you know, as you take a fall in the cell, as this man did, and you end up in a some sort of a hospital bed in a place you don't know about, they are they aren't telling anybody about. The the communication is cut off completely. And we've heard so many terrible stories of immigrants having their homes broken into by ICE uh, people, jackbooted ICE thugs, kicking in doors, dressed all in black, taking people away from their families, separating husbands and, and wives from their children, taking the children and putting them into foster homes as their parents get shoveled off to some detention center. And if they haven't had the luxury of living here for a decade, as this man had, then they don't know anybody here, most likely, or very, very few people. They don't have the networking experience that somebody who's lived here has had. So they may not easily be able to acquire a lawyer. They may not be anybody on the outside working on their behalf. So they would just perish in this government detention center unless the government decided to ship them off to some other country and they were somehow treated better there. But we, according to the story, many of these people are, are kept there for weeks, if not months, if not years, as the government decides what to do with them. And their options are very, very limited, more so than anybody who's in a normal jail in this country. And it just goes to show that the further the degree of separation from the government, the more inhumane it becomes. So you can see it on a local, federal, and state level. Around here, for instance, the local government does its best to act like it is just the nicest group of people. They are, you know, they're your neighbors, and they know that you know where they live, and so there's some level, even though there's micromanagement... There's and, some accountability. You can, um, you do know, they are your neighbors, and you do know where they live. Right, and I, and I understand there's a difference between the government here in Keene, New Hampshire, population 25,000, versus New York City, okay? So I'm not talking about big cities. I'm talking about, you know, small cities or... Uh, you know, under 100,000 people, those people know they're more accountable to you because you're closer to them. I'm not advocating for local no, government. It doesn't, it doesn't make it good. I'm, I'm not saying it's good. I think local government is better. I'm just making an observation. So at the state level, especially in bigger states, where you've got to drive a whole big distance to get to where their government stuff goes on, they're more disconnected. The representatives are less likely to return your phone call. The senators... Probably not going to return your phone call ever. Uh, and they're, they're just even more disconnected from you, and they're more politically connected. So they're able, they're, they're moving more money around. There's more money being moved around at the state level than the local level. So the political uh, power seekers are more interested in a state-level position. Similar, federal government moving billions more than state governments around. So the biggest power mongers are attracted to the federal-level positions, and they're even more further removed uh, from you. You're in Hawaii, they're in D.C. You're in Oregon or Montana, they're in D.C. They have nothing to do with you. The decisions made there don't have anything to do 
uh, with your lives. And, of course, it would be worse if it was the U.N. or the North American Union or whatever's proposed for the future of centralization of government. So you've got that very obvious disparity between local, state, and federal governments. So combine that now with the jail situation. You're in a local jail? Well, you're probably a little bit more accessible than someone in a, in a state prison. Uh, again, the guards live in your community. State-level jail, prison, well, you're going to be a little bit more caught off, but you're still at least a, a member, you're still a citizen, you've got a history, you've got a past, you've got friends on the outside that can help you out. Federal level, you know, that varies. There's different levels of federal, federal prison out there. But then you, you sub, then you can just set all that aside because the immigrants, they don't have any of it. The immigrants, they don't have any of those, those same uh, appreci- uh, applicable situations that, uh, that apply to our, uh, those of us who were born here. And so they are even more cut off from what few friends or family members they might have. And their situation is even more tragic because there's little that can be done about it. And in addition, somebody who's arrested who lives here probably has a little bit more wealth to their name than most of these immigrants do. And so there's just more at their disposal to take action. Of course, we've all, we've all seen that rich people get justice a hell of a lot better than poor people in America. So there's that disparity. And, but, but even poor people in America have a better situation than the immigrants. And it's just they are a complete underclass. They are a second-class citizen. And the way they're treated in this country absolutely disgusts me. Would love to hear how you feel. Let's go to Matt in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live on the Amp Line. Hello, Matt. Um, well, recently I've had to fill out a form in, um, at work. It's called, I think, the I-9 or something like that. It was uh, some kind of federal form. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was given notice, I went into the human resources. I asked them what it was all about, basically saying, what does Big Brother want me to do now? And um, the human resources people told me, well, we're looking for illegal immigrants. Mm. So I needed to provide two forms of ID. I was quite reluctant to do it, but I ended up doing it. Um, I want to keep my job. Sure, so sure. I gave her my driver's license and the student ID. And so this was a couple weeks back. Well, today I'm sitting at work, and one of the Mexican guys that works for us comes up. He needed something checked. And I'm checking for him, and he starts talking about how he wants to listen to the uh, – the uh, English radio back there, that all the other guys that are back there are listening to Spanish radio, and he wants to learn English better. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, you speak English pretty good. I said, how long have you been here? He said, eight years. I said, well, are you legal? He said, no. I asked him, did you fill out this form? And he said, yeah, I had to. So I'm just kind of shaking my head going, you know, what are they going to do about that? And he, he was talking about my, my next supervisor, Jim, saying that they were going to try to do something for him. I don't know what. But I started thinking in my head, I'm just imagining the feds coming into this place mm. because there's not just him. There's a couple few. Oh. And I'm going, man, this is, this is bad. And eight years of, of working here, eight years. He's not been, he hasn't been collecting welfare for eight years. He's been working. No, he's been working. He's paying property taxes. He owns a house. He's wow. Incredible. He I... owns a house. He has a wife. He has two kids. He has a baby on the way. And they could just ruin uh, it all with one fell swoop. 
of their they evilness. Do. It's like being a felon on the land. Hour okay. two's coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Thanks for the call, dude. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. We launch an hour or two. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Now, we spent all of the last hour talking about a story from the New York Times about one man who had died in the care of the Immigration and Naturalization Detention People, ICE. I guess it stands for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Anyway, the uh, the man had died, and he's not the only one. And this was just a tragic story of this man was in a, in the hospital in a coma, and they didn't bother to even tell his family members. So they treat these detainees, these immigration detainees, even worse than prison population, uh, than the treatment that they get. I mean, they're just... They must be looked at as the scum of the earth by these federal government people. I, I don't really, how I don't really understand how you could even be a human being and uh, behave in the way that you behave towards these immigrants. It's just absolutely awful what they're subjected to. You, um, you saw in the, the what, what was the Stanford Prison Experiment that just I mean in there in that case. You weren't even talking about people who were convicted of anything. Yeah, that's true. It's they were just, college kids that were put into an experiment. Some of them were uh, were told they were going to be the prisoners. Others were told they were going to be the the imprisoned, or excuse me, the uh, the imprisoners, guards, the guards, and they fell right into their roles. Where these were college kids before the before the experiment started, and then. After the experiment started, within a day or two, the guards had fallen right into the roles of being abusive and sadistic, and had they not had a prohibition on hurting the actual uh, prisoners in that case, then we probably would have seen even more sadism than than they, we actually did. And there's a lot of detail about the Stanford Prison Experiment available online. Uh, you're welcome to look it up in your in your spare time and, and check it out. But yeah, you're right, Mark. I mean, I guess that answers the question, right? They're, if they're even that much more separated from their victims as these immigration guards are from the immigrant detainees that they have, then they're even more likely to be sadistic and awful toward them. So that's what we spent the first hour talking about. But someone could could easily listen to the show, especially someone with a anti-immigration mentality, the law and order mentality who might be saying to themselves, "Yeah, well that's what they get for breaking the law, trying to come here. They're trying to just steal from the system, they're trying to mooch and that's what they get. They get what they deserve." They could tell themselves that. And they could also tell themselves, "Well, you know, that might be awful what happened to those immigrants, but I'm not an immigrant. I'm an American citizen, and so therefore I don't have to worry about being treated in this way but you'd be wrong because the treatment toward citizens becomes even uh it's just it just degenerates over time as the treatment toward immigrants degenerates because you could be an immigrant you could be an illegal even though you look like you're regular american maybe you just snuck across the border we're going to have to take a look into your past and your laptop and all your personal possessions just to make sure that you ain't one of them illegal immigrants and sure enough the uh, crackdown continues this from yahoo tech news 
following in the wake of February's news that customs agents were seizing electronics and making copies of all the files on cell phones and laptop hard drives, Federal Appeals Court has ruled on the legality of such searches. Guess what they said? They said it was okay. Yep. Customs can do whatever it wants to your computer when you it's come the across... the border, for God's sake. Yeah, there's, a, there's a line in the sand. I the, mean, the country, countries, countries are allowed to maintain their borders, so screw the rights of their citizens at that border. It says that whenever this you... This is your laptop, an American yep. citizen's laptop. Mm-hmm. A, a bureaucrat arbitrarily looks through your stuff and decides what you're doing is right or wrong. You know, I thought about this... could be a terrorist. Um, I, I thought about this, and I was... Because uh, I'm probably going to be flying not too long from now, but mm-hmm. I won't be going out of the country. And what happens if they go through my uh, telephone? I happen to have on there uh, from... Do you remember the the bodies? You know what bodies is? It's a... Uh, yeah, it's an exhibit. It's an exhibit, Where right. they've somehow fossilized the internals of a body. I don't know if fossilized is the preserved. right term, but preserved. Yeah, there you go. Um, in there is uh, the, the pictures of, uh, you know, not pictures, excuse me, they're, they're babies, mm-hmm. uh, little Asian babies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, dead babies, uh, right? right? Dead babies at different, uh, different phases of uh, development. I took some pictures of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I took some pictures of the whole thing, but I took some pictures of these dead naked babies. Could some TSA agent child porn. look through my phone and say, I Necro have child, child porn? That's there the worst go. of the worst. It, right there. <laughs> I mean, and then yeah, how does right. the news story get reported? Talk show, show host home. into necro child porn. Right. The, the, you know, evidence <laughs> of child porn. Nobody ever sees the picture. Yeah. Um, you know, it just ruins my career. Wow. All kinds of things. Just like that. You should delete those pictures. But do you understand how it's not child porn? Oh, I understand. <laughs> I understand. But I'm reasonable, Mark, and right. these people and, that and enforce not. these laws are not. Right. And they're actually incentivized to not be reasonable. Well, yeah. If they fill one which, space in the prison, then that's more money for them. Which right? TSA agent, um, you know, the, the, you see two TSA, TSA agents, the one that lets it go and the one that uh, tries to push for it, the one that gets the conviction, or, you know, gets the arrest or whatever, gets the the nab. That's the one that's promotion. liable to get the promotion. Mm, yep. Exactly. So uh, get ready if you're taking a laptop or any uh, any electronic device across the border. According to the custom, according to the federal appeals court, customs can do whatever it wants to your computer when you come across the border without a warrant and without cause. Fact is, you're there and they've got guns, so they're going to get away with it. Courts are backing them up. This is and the what courts happens. Are backing them up. The courts, step by step, continue to back up more and more police state activities. And so what happens is that these things that would have probably been ruled uh, against a few decades ago in this country are a now decade being ago. yeah are now being ruled a okay, and it encourages the enforcement agencies to go a few steps further and continue to violate people's rights. Right. And that way, when they get challenged in court, the courts will back them up on that, and they can take a few steps further after that. By creating a police state for illegal immigrants, we create a police state for legal immigrants Correct. and for American citizens. No, the, yeah, if you've got a police state, nobody can ex- escape it except for the elites. And, and that's, that's it. And, and that's, how, um, well, that's what happens with these roving checkpoints. The roving checkpoints are there to catch the illegal immigrants, but they're harassing the crap, I'm sure, out of legal immigrants, mm-hmm. and they're bothering the American citizens. Tell me you're not in a police state. If you do have your papers, the guy asking for the papers is still port- a part of the police state. 
Papers, uh, please. According to the ruling, it extends to all electronics. In addition to laptops, feds can seize phone records and even digital pictures on your camera as they hunt for evidence. The ruling was evidence of what? <laughs> the ruling was unanimous no crime. among the three appellate judges. Be, so not even a dissenter on there. Uh, be assured that the ruling has little to do with thwarting terrorism. The appeal was actually part of an ongoing trial of a man named Michael Arnold, who returned from the Philippines and had his laptop scoured by the feds. They found purported images of child pornography on the laptop and later arrested him. In he his, must have been going to the Philippines to have sex with bo- young boys. In his trial, the evidence was suppressed for probable cause issues, as the court said that Customs had no reasonable suspicion to search his laptop in the first place, and that ruling has now been overturned. As Wired Magazine notes, the court didn't rule on whether you have to help the agents access your hard drive. If you use a password or encryption, the court was mum on whether you can be compelled to provide information on bypassing that security in order to access materials on the drive. Well, just wait. Since they haven't had that court decision yet, I bet you that one's in the future. Look, they're allowed to look through your laptop. Why in the world wouldn't they be allowed to demand your passwords? Maybe they could detain you or detain your laptop until you consent to the search. Right. Do you think you're just going to, just because you managed to wait them out 15 minutes, that that's uh, that's going to stop the whole thing? No. I mean, they have jails right there at the border uh, to detain you. Hope you didn't need that laptop for anything because, you know, you'd be lucky if they let you go and just keep the laptop. I don't see that they would. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I, what would? Hold on, just a second. Your laptop's chuck full of real live child porn. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say that that's the case. They confiscate your laptop, but it's encrypted. Yeah. They confiscate your laptop. You know that they have, uh, you know. You want to get out of there. Code breaking yeah. stuff. They let you go. Are you gonna be? Are they gonna be able to find you? They Hell wouldn't no. be able to find me. You probably uh, says here if you find yourself in such a situation and have anything on your computer that might be considered at all suspicious, you're probably wise to keep mum on providing login information. This is an issue that will undoubtedly keep developing, but anyone traveling overseas with sensitive information should, for now, consider storing it elsewhere or simply leaving it at home. 800-259-9231. Yeah, if you've got something sensitive, maybe you should just store it online and then download it from your destination, wherever it is you're going to. You don't even know if it is sensitive most of the time. Yeah, that's right. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. Single CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. They include the updates. Get signed up, and we keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates.freetalklive.com to get on the list. That's updates.freetalklive.com. Is another fad diet really the answer to losing your extra pounds? Are working out and eating right no longer working to help you lose weight? If you can relate to that... Go read the story of a doctor who lost 37 pounds in one month and has kept it off. See the actual before and after pictures and read his story at notfatanymore.com. You can get off that fad diet roller coaster forever. Check out notfatanymore.com. 1-800-259-9231. Just uh, finished up a story about a disappointing court decision in a series of disappointing court decisions taking away more and more freedom from you. Now, when you cross the border whichever border, when you're leaving the country and you're going through customs or coming back in and you're going through customs, they have the absolute right, according to the Federal Appeals Court, to search through your laptop, your cell phone, or any other electronic device. I mean, by that, 
presumption they could probably search through anything that you've got. I mean, your little black book or whatever. Anything that you have that's electronic, though, they can now search through and they can copy and download whatever they want from your uh, from your laptop in the name of protecting us all from the illegal immigrants and the terrorists and the drug dealers. These are the new enemies of the state that will allow the state the excuses it needs to destroy your liberty completely. Uh, you know, the, the appeals court and the circuit courts and the uh, Supreme Court have ruled many times in the past, uh, uh, really, against the Fourth Amendment, uh, just shrinking your Fourth Amendment rights. Um, or at least the, they're not shrinking the rights, but they're um, allowing the, the state to encroach upon your mm-hmm. rights more and more. When uh, you know, Now they can do it at the border. What if they're doing an illegal immigrant stop check? What if they're, you know... You mean one of those random checkpoints? What if, what if they're doing a roving uh, patrol? What if a, Oh, I see a laptop in your passenger seat there. Can you... I just need to see that for a moment. Need to make sure you aren't trafficking any child pornography or anything else we need to know about. It's all right. We'll uh, get it back to you here. Uh, just pull over by the side of the road here. We're going to keep an eye on you and make sure you don't go anywhere, but you can just hang out here. We'll get it back to you when we're done. I mean, how long do these searches take? If you've got a lot of stuff on your laptop, how long are they going to take looking through it? What are they looking for, exactly? I mean, there are thousands of files on anyone's computer. How is it that... What are they... If you know how to hide things, for instance, I mean, are they going to go and, like, try to find hidden files? I mean, how how deep are they going to dig in people's uh, devices? I can only imagine. I imagine they go into my pictures and start looking in there. That's probably Mm -hmm. where they first go. Well, it would seem to me that any child pornographer worth their salt wouldn't be trafficking in their uh, their product in a laptop across the border. So often, these child pornographers aren't actually child pornographers. They're There's just some, families with uh, pictures of kids in a bathtub well, or something. Kids in, kids in a bathtub. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, they'll make accusations about uh, you know uh, the age of some girl in a photo. Well, she's not 18. She's 17. Because she's got an A cup or something like that? Uh, or, you know, barely legal, whatever. Yeah. You know, you just don't know when it comes to this stuff. Sure. And what can you do? At that point, what can you do? You've You're been accused. Screwed. You're screwed. You're in jail. Nobody's paying the mortgage. Yeah. How many of your friends are going to stick around after you've been accused of uh, trafficking and child pornography across the border? You're going to sure have a heck of a time explaining to everybody, look, I deserve... I don't have any of that stuff. Just uh, barely legal, man. That's all. Well, this is where things are going. There is a bit of uh, good news, though. You know, we like to throw the good news out there when it is available, which isn't often. Uh, But according to the Drug War Chronicle, speaking of the Fourth Amendment, Mark, this is related. Police who entered an apartment after smelling marijuana being smoked there violated the Fourth Amendment's protections against unreasonable searches and seizures, or so says the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, as they held in a late January ruling. Evidence found during a subsequent search within a, uh, with a search warrant based on that illegal entry must also be thrown out, said the court. The decision came in U.S. versus Mowat, in which Blandensburg, Maryland police showed up at the, showed up at the door of Karim Mowat's 10th floor apartment to investigate a noise complaint. They smelled marijuana and demanded they be allowed to enter the apartment. But Mowat refused, repeatedly asking if they had a search warrant. Police then claimed they... They sure don't like that. 
Police then claimed they feared Mowat had a weapon, forced their <laughs> way in, and found guns and drugs. Police then used the evidence they found at the apartment to get a search warrant to further search the apartment. Based on contraband found there, Moat was charged with various drug and gun offenses. Before trial, the trial judge denied Moat's motion to suppress the evidence, buying prosecutors' contentions that the warrantless entry was lawful because of the risk of destruction of the evidence of marijuana possession constituted exigent circumstances. Moat was found guilty in May of 2006 and sentenced to a total of 16 years and five months. The 4th District disagreed, or the 4th fourth, fourth Circuit, rather, noting that it was only the arrival of the officers at the door that created any exigent circumstances. Uh, one William Traxler, ju- uh, Judge William Traxler, wrote, Although the officers had every right to knock on Moet's door to try to talk to him about the complaint, without a warrant, they could not require him to open it. So let's stop down for a moment here and remind you of what Barry Cooper from NeverGetBusted.com has said. If the cops come to your door... You don't have to open it for them. If they've got a warrant, they can bust it in. So don't you worry. Yeah, they're going to. They'll be coming in at that point. But if they're just knocking to investigate a noise complaint or possibly sniff around to see if you're smoking marijuana or having an underage drinking party or whatever nonviolent consensual crime might be going on within the four walls of your apartment or your house, if that's the reason they're there, why do you need to talk to them? If you feel the need to talk to them, talk to them through the door. And if they want to tell you they've got a warrant, or if they want to tell you they can go get a warrant, or they're going to get in eventually, great. You let them tell you whatever they want to tell you. Just don't open the door for the police. If you open that door, then it's just a matter of them saying, oh, we smell marijuana. Doesn't even matter if you've got marijuana in there. Oh, we smell marijuana. We need to come in and take a look around. And by the time you try to close the door on them, their foot's in the way, and they're pushing their way into your apartment. That sounds to me like exactly what happened to this particular person. And it's happened to other people all across the country. People have decided too late that they didn't actually want the cops in their apartment or their home, and they tried to tell them to leave, but by that time, the big brutes were pushing their way into their place, uh, into their living quarters. So just don't open the door in the first place. I don't care how nice the cops sound. They might tell you a good story through the door about how they're just there to talk to you. Great. Talk through the door. I can hear you just fine. Oh, what's that? Can't you hear me through the door? Here's my phone number. Or, yeah, you can call me through. Yeah. You can call me on my cell phone. Yeah, we'll talk on the phone. But I don't really even see a need to talk to them personally. Let me continue here. Traxler, the judge, wrote, by not doing so, uh, said here, excuse me, the officers needed only seek a warrant before confronting the apartment's occupants, but by not doing so, they set up the wholly foreseeable risk that the occupants, upon being notified of the officer's presence, would seek to destroy the evidence of their crimes. The U.S. attorney who argued the case wasn't happy. He told the Maryland Daily Record, quote, The implications of this opinion are very broad for what police officers should do in this situation, which isn't an uncommon one. He added that he's working with the Justice Department to decide whether to appeal the decision. Odds are good they're going to appeal, because that's what government does. It'll, What's it going to cost it, them? Yeah, it has no cost. How much do the, how much do the attorneys cost the government? Oh, when they do pay the attorneys, they pay them with your money. That's right. So they'll appeal this all the way up to the Supreme Court. For now... Freedom has been safeguarded one iota, but if the police state-friendly Supreme Court gets their hands on this one, I predict they'll turn it over. But maybe that's just me being pessimistic. More coming up. You can take control of the airwaves. Generally, I'm an optimist, but not when it comes to government matters. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. You take control. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. Talk Live, bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those, including the wiki. You can get interactive with over 1,500 pages created by listeners just like you. Go to wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener-editable version of our website. That's wiki. WIKI.freetalklive.com. Plus, if you want to help support the show, we ask that you shop with us at Amazon.freetalklive.com. Enter Amazon through that link. Free Talk Live gets a percentage of the sale. So there are 41 categories that you can shop in. All kinds of stuff that you can buy. Groceries, books, electronics. You name it, they probably sell it. You'll probably get it at a really good price. Free Super Saver shipping on a whole bunch of items. And Free Talk Live gets a percentage. If you enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Got the numbers back. We were down a little bit in February. From January, we made over 750 bucks in commissions from your purchases on Amazon. And that's from, like, thousands of products being purchased by our listeners. So, big thanks to everybody out there who shops with Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. 750 bucks. Wow. Not too shabby. No. All right, and of course, inevitably, most of that money gets reinvested into the show. Got some new equipment coming into the studio later this week. You do love the gizmos. Uh, yeah, we're going to be upgrading the microphones, so that's something that uh, you're pretty excited about. Yeah, Mark. I you know, know that. Um, you've been the, waiting for the, this. The, the, <laughs> you didn't know I was going to do it either. I sprung no, it on you. I, I, it was a surprise, and the listeners just don't know. I, I we had these microphones when we worked at the the very first uh, Free Talk Live studios at uh, 105 WYNF. And I don't know what they're called or anything. Uh, shotgun mics is all I'd ever heard them called, and they were great. It was it was shotgun really... is not quite accurate for what those are. Okay, shotgun mics are designed to pick up audio across a room or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you're filming a meeting and you want to pick up uh, one individual speaking, you can aim a shotgun mic at them and it will pick that up. This is just a professional broadcast microphone. It's just the best in the business. That's what I'd heard them called. That doesn't mean that I'm right. Um, yep. <laughs> I, uh, I really love them and I, I can't wait for us to get them. So, uh, 1-800-259-9231. Not that these sound bad. It's just they're kind of well, cheap. The other, awesome. Right. The, the other ones... They uh, break. What, what are they called? The what? The ones we're using now? The ones we're getting. Oh, there. These are the RE twenty sevens, Electro yeah. Voice RE twenty seven. They're workhorses. They, uh, you, you could do anything to them. These these microphones had pretty much been in the studio. Well, they'd been there as long as I worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, the microphones that we use go out about once every once a year or two. Two, yeah, yeah a year or two. Um, one of them will go out, and uh, you know they're just they, they're not as good. So anyway, big thanks to everybody who shops at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. And speaking of shopping. I got a little bit more good news for you, Mark. Two good news stories in a row. What is this world coming to? It's good news. Uh, It's actually out of Texas, and it's about sex toys. But first, we're going to your phone calls. We talk to Dave in Ohio. You're on Free Talk Live, listening on WAIS. This is a true story. I'm going to paraphrase it, but this guy was riding his bicycle in Athens, Ohio, Mm -hmm. and he was taking his son to get some ice cream, and... He had a son on the back of his bike, and he had a child's helmet on. Mm-hmm. They were driving up this hill, or pet, pedaling, and the guy got off the bike with his son and ran into a policeman who told him his bike was leaning. 
And he Despite said, his okay. Meaning? Yeah. Okay. And he thanked them and got in front of the library, and here comes the cop, lights and sirens, and forces the guy onto the curb. Then in front of the kid, guy's son, he's arrested for a child endangerment, assault, and search. When taken to a police station, he was threatening, threatened of losing his son if he did not give up his right to remain silent. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So what happened? Do you know the rest of the story, Dave? Well, some people took pictures, I guess, of it, and... So he was. Uh, so he got in trouble for leaning too much on the bicycle. Was that why they arrested him? Because he was leaning too much. From what I take it, they charged him with the child and endangerment for leaning. That's awful story, Dave. Thank you for the call tonight. Right, we appreciate thanks. you bringing that up. And it's just yet another in a long line of government abusing parents. And when parents decide to do something differently from how government people might suggest they live their lives, they're punished by having their children stolen from them or by being put into a jail cell or being fined. In this case, this guy wasn't riding his bicycle according to all the applicable regulations. I mean, you got a safety helmet on the kid. What else can you do? Well, if it was if it was the applicable regulations, um, then there would have been a fine for leaning too far on a bicycle. Hmm. Instead, he got char- charged with child endangerment. Child endangerment yeah. So this was uh, really a subjective uh, stop, uh, you know, a subjective arrest as opposed to an objective arrest. Hmm. Just another awful story. You know, if if there was, you may not lean more than 15 degrees off of uh, center with a child on the bike, (laughs) then the police officer could, you know, say, I I observed uh, uh, the the perpetrator uh, leaning 18 degrees off of center with the bike, uh, proceeding at uh, 18 miles an hour, whatever. But I bet you the child endangerment was a bit of a um, more serious charge. Maybe there was maybe the police felt uh, that the guy had an attitude and figured they went they'd go at him with that instead of fining him for leaning too far. Maybe there is a fine for that. It's just that they chose to go with the the more serious charge to teach him a lesson. How dare you disobey us? Just look, it's his kid, and I'm sure he's rode, uh, ridden on the bicycle before. Putting with him in a car is child endangerment. That's a good point. Probably more so statistically than. Putting him on a, leaning too far on a bike. Yeah, bike, you fall off, you're going to get a scratched up knee. Yep. And that's about it, right? How many kids die a year in car accidents? Great point. We continue with your calls. It's Ben in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Ben. Ben in Pennsylvania going once. Ben in Pennsylvania going twice. I'm here. Hey, Ben, what's on your mind? Yeah, probably if you want, I want to talk about Ron Paul's new book, but um, probably if you had a laptop and you wanted to say, uh, transported across the country without being harassed by these government thugs, probably your best bet would be to mail it to, where, to the location where you're going to get off the plane at and then pick it up there. Yeah, because it is called Revolution, a Manifesto, Ron Paul's new book, which I've, I've heard is a number one bestseller at Amazon.com. Uh, so yeah, with, with uh, inflammatory language like that, you could be a terrorist. A, a manifesto for a revolution? That could be enough to, sure, confiscate the laptop, maybe lock you in a detention center for a few weeks. Got to sort everything out, you know. Yeah, the book's only about uh, 12 bucks on Amazon, and it talks about the Constitution, foreign policy, how the free market and health care would work, like civil liberties, um, immigration, the war on drugs, all that stuff. 
I've, I actually read the entire thing in school today, and so I have time to spare. Oh, cool. Well, you know, I uh, I feel a little dirty with the Ron Paul book. Why? Um, there's there's so many uh, books out, libertarian books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ron Paul. I don't know. Here here here's one view. I'm not saying this is the one I have, but I feel a little dirty. Is is my statement? You know, it's it seems like he's uh, parlaying uh, the. Uh, the the fame that he had here that was really the uh, he, he said it himself uh, everybody else's revolution he's thanks for being a, uh, thanks for letting me be a part of your revolution right and like he's parlaying that into a book deal and I don't know that's I what just, all the pre- presidential candidates do they've always got a book to push yeah, but if you have a Harry book, Brown had a book if you have a book ahead of time then you could yeah, say that's um, the campaign book right that's the campaign book it's helping me campaign helping me become president. Releasing What's the book at the with him end of the campaign books? when I, 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 it just makes me feel dirty. I just I, I really like I'm like I don't. Want I'm not going to buy it because you know I've read plenty of libertarian books as you said. I mean I'm sure it's a, is it a good primer? Would you say it's or primer? Sorry, primer's it's the a, wrong. It's a, it's a primer book. It's the kind of book you might give to someone if they're really not sure about their political affiliation. Yeah. But but does it doesn't he propose uh, like federal solutions as far as just restructuring the federal government to make it work? Better. Well, he well he talks about um, like getting rid of the uh, military commissions act, the Patriot Act, stuff That's like good. that. It's not really so much a campaign book. He said in the book it's written more for future generations, so, so they have something to look back on to keep the uh, thing going. Does he mention secession anywhere in there? Um, he, he did talk about Abraham Lincoln and his war against the South, how it was unlawful. Interesting. Well, very That's good. Cool. And thank you for the review. We appreciate the call today. Thank you. 800-259-9231. Sex toys in Texas. Good news about them. More on the way. We'll tell you about it. Plus, take your calls about anything. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live, bring up anything, toll-free number, 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line, it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. You want to easily update the look of those old cabinets or that old set of drawers? Well, internobs.com offers a wide variety of knobs and pulls for every taste and budget. Save 10% on your order by using code FTL at checkout. That's internobs.com, I-N-T-E-R-K-N-O-B-S.com, or see their banner at freetalklive.com. 1-800-259-9231, that's our number. We go to your phone calls, and then we'll talk about sex toys in Texas. First, we talk to Jeff in Reno, listening on KBZZ. Hello, Jeff. Hey, what's up, guys? I just wanted to call in and talk about the police state. Yes. Uh, basically, uh, you know, the political system's controlled by leaders who rule by force. And, you know, I think it's a critical a component. Common to police state rule is the desire to control the information flow to citizens through censorship and propaganda campaigns. And, you know, there's two different types of police states, the authoritarian and totalitarian. And, of course, the authoritarian police state is primarily only interested in maintaining power, and the authoritarian is regime, I guess you would call it, is uh, they don't want to be challenged uh, within the country. Uh, so, you know, it rules to engage in the censorship and propaganda to justify and glory its rule, basically. And I guess um, uh, police states, you know, they don't just limit their censorship and propaganda to the news media. They do it in all kind of ways. But, you know, think about it, guys. We go all the way back to... We had the, just the, the police officer who just used to be 
dressed in a regular police uniform. And now what do you see, especially at protests and uh, activists where they gather in D.C., you see these guys dressed up in black with yep. masks. And well, we read a story over the, I think it was over the weekend or maybe a few days before that, about how police departments across the country, specifically Massachusetts in this particular story, are switching to black, all black uniforms, because studies have shown that it instills fear in the populace, and that's what they were saying they wanted to and do. And they wear masks uh, to, you know, if you're wearing a mask, the same reason robbers wear masks, to, uh, you know, to hide their identity and uh, to sort of... Uh, Dis, uh, dehumanize themselves from the situation. And yeah, I mean, even if it's just a, a pair of big aviators, that's the reason they wear them. You're well, they, you know, Go ahead. They're, they're coming out, you know, these guys are out of control. They're coming out with these fire extinguishers, which are big old canisters of, of, of pepper spray. And, you know, they're coming out and shooting people with rubber bullets and mm-hmm. throwing smoke bombs and, and you know, all of these... Uh, yeah, and then they laugh about it. We saw video footage uh, from Miami. There was some protests going on down there a few years back, and a, a, a female lawyer happened to be on the streets at that time, just going about her normal business, when yep. she just impromptu decided to pick up and join the protest. She was given a sign from one of the protesters that had some extras, and uh, she ended up being uh, assaulted by a pel- uh, just. The, the, the police shot multiple rubber, rubber pellets bullets, at her, or rubber bullets, and then later on in the footage, they showed that these cops in their little after party or their little roundup afterwards were, were laughing about it. They joked about it. They specifically mentioned the woman in red, and we're all just having a good old time uh, talking about how funny it was that they shot her in the forehead with a yeah, rubber they, pellet. It was actually on some, some of the news channels. I remember seeing the clips on yep. CNN. And that's just yet another example of this the insanity of this police state that we live in. And, you know, you brought up a great point, Jeff, and thank you for the call tonight. He brings up a great point in that, you know, the the uniforms used to be different. In fact, the the title for a police officer used to be different. They used to be called peace officers. And from what I understand, in the New Hampshire criminal code, they actually refer to the police still in some places as peace officers. So they're kind of using them interchangeably in the laws. But they now, want you to believe the police officers are peace officers. But now on the on the streets, they're called law enforcement officers or LEOs. And the job between a law enforcement officer and a peace officer, I think, is pretty distinct. There's a difference there, and you can tell just based on the name. If you're a law enforcement officer, it's your job to enforce the law. Whatever the law says, you must enforce. So if, as in the example of uh, Dave's story earlier, if you're you're riding your bicycle and leaning at too hard of an angle, you've broken the law, and we need a law enforcement officer to enforce that upon you. Or if you go 10 miles over the speed limit, you've broken the law. Or if you have a joint, you've broken the law. Whereas a peace officer would only take action when the peace was breached. So if somebody was starting a fight, or uh, you had some vandalism, or arson, theft. or theft, or murder, or rape, or something like that, where uh, there, you actually had a victim, well, then you'd feel good about bringing a peace officer in to help resolve the situation, which in most cases was done by simply talking to people, you know, when you didn't have a, a real obvious violent event, when it was just maybe a bar fight that had started, and, you know, somebody violent, uh, get, starting to get violent, or starting to threaten somebody, you bring the peace officer in, he talks to the parties, he separates one from the other, he takes one of them and says, look, you're going to have to get off the premises for, you know, the premises for tonight. you got to go, man. Yeah. And then if he doesn't go, then you've got to use if whatever force is wrong, necessary. If he takes him in, you know, lets yeah. him sober up or whatever, but, you know, uses the power of law where it is, uh, where it makes sense to use it. 
Exactly. So there's a big difference between the way things used to be with the cops and, and how they are now. And I think it's that, that gap needs to close, and we need to get back to having peace officers. If we're going to have government cops, we should have peace officers, not law enforcement officers. Though I think that, a, that ideally we should have private protection services, because then you truly have customer service. Then you truly have organizations that are actually looking to satisfy their customers, as opposed to simply impose rules on them, or to... Uh, to force them to behave in a certain way that they may not want to behave. If you're hiring a company to keep you safe from criminals, real violent people that could harm you or your property or your family, then those are not people who are going to give you a ticket for running a stop sign, or they're not going to sniff around trying to come up with something to charge you with so you can get run through the system and pay them hundreds of dollars. It wouldn't work that way if you were hiring their services. And so let's let's let the marketplace handle police services. Then then we could have a whole new level of protection. We could have innovation for the first time ever. Instead of just innovating new weapons like the taser, uh, new new ways to control people, we could have innovative techniques that actually help protect people better in advance from crimes happening. Who knows what things could be developed if we allowed the marketplace to actually compete in these areas? But we don't right now. Right now, it's one size fits all. You either take the government police you have or move somewhere else. As interesting as I think that the uh, the idea of private police forces are, I think that uh, people aren't quite ready for that. That we could see government shrink in a lot other a lot of other areas uh, more quickly than we could in the area of uh, private police. And I think that uh, you know. Uh, just when we propose ideas to them, that government police should be one of the last things that we propose. 1-800-259-9231 is the SACL-CAI toll-free line. Because when you have law enforcement officers, you have them enforcing all kinds of asinine laws, including just ancient, outdated, stupid laws like this one in Fort Worth, Texas. The Associated Press, actually it's the entire state of Texas, where a federal appeals court has overturned a statute allowing outlawing rather sex toy sales in Texas. We actually talked about this law years ago on the program, have, yeah. where uh, they have these sex parties, these sex toy parties. They're basically their network marketing companies for sex toys. And Mostly for women. For, yeah, th- that's true. Uh, and what happens is, it's like a Tupperware party. A woman meets up with her friend, and she says, hey, I'm selling these sex toys now. Let's get a party together. And so they call all their friends, and they all come over, and they get... Stuff gets passed around, and they've got vibrators and lotions and oils and things like that. And then, you know, afterwards, there's always a business presentation, right? You've got to show the charts and the flow charts and the money and the boats. You've got to show the boats and the houses. I don't think that – no, not all <laughs> not all of them go like that. No, they don't. A, a lot of them are these uh, – just like these uh, candlelight or whatever um, – uh, you know, parties where they they don't necessarily try to get you on board to you sell the stuff. Absolutely, okay. They just want to sell their product. Well, anyway, uh, so that's the way it works. And a few years back, there was a story about the cops busting one of these vendors, one of these dealers, these house to house dealers, and they caught her with some law. And it might have been this one where you couldn't actually possess more than six sex toys. So because she had a trunk full of sex toys, because it's her business to go around people's houses and show them off, she got in trouble for having too many vibrators. And just the idea that, that something like that Unlawful could happen. Unlawful possession of a dildo. Yeah, the idea that something like that could happen in America was pretty disgusting to me. But now there's a little bit of good news. And uh, Texas, by the way, was one of the last states, all in the South, by the way, to retain such a ban. It's been overturned now. 
According to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, they ruled that Texas's law making it illegal to sell or promote obscene devices punishable by as many as two years in jail violated the right to privacy guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Companies that own Dreamers and LaRouge Boutique, which sell the devices in its Austin stores, and the retail distributor Adam and Eve sued in federal court in Austin in 2004 of the constitutionality of the law. So here you are, four years later, they finally decided. They appealed after a federal judge dismissed the suit and said the Constitution didn't protect their right to publicly promote such devices. We'll continue this discussion here in moments in hour number three, and we'll take your calls about whatever's on your mind. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Live. We are launching into hour number three of the program. As always, you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Starting out the hour here, uh, for those of you just tuning in, a little bit of good news in regards to sex toys. According to the Associated Press, in Texas, a federal appeals court has overturned a statute outlawing sex toy sales in Texas. Uh, companies that own Dreamers and LaRouge Boutique, which sell uh, devices in its Austin stores, and the retail distributor Adam and Eve sued in federal court back in 2004 over a law that makes it illegal to sell or promote so-called obscene devices, <laughs> punishable by up to two years in jail. Boy, do they have nothing better to do. Yeah. It's uh, in its decision Tuesday. People can't have any fun, Mark. See, it's not allowed. Fun, fun in America? Please. No. You can't make yourself feel good with a toy. What, are we going to outlaw people's hands next? I mean, because they can use those to make themselves feel good. Sears catalog. Uh, companies that, uh, let's see here. In its decision, the appeals court cited Lawrence and Garner versus Texas, which is a Supreme Court 2003 decision that struck down bans on consensual sex between same-sex couples. See, because there's... States across the country that don't like the idea that men might be touching other men and women's might be touching other women's. More than men. Yeah, probably than men. Uh, but so that law, those laws were struck down by the Supreme Court. And according to the appeals judges, quote, Justice in Lawrence, the state here wants to use its laws to enforce a public moral code by restricting private intimate contact. Contact, rather, conduct. Uh, the case is not about public sex, and it's not about controlling commerce and sex. It's about controlling what people do in the privacy of their own homes because the state is morally opposed to a certain type of consensual private intimate conduct. This is an insufficient justification after the Lawrence decision. The Texas Attorney General's office, which represented the Travis County District Attorney, has not decided whether to appeal. According to the president of Adam and Eve Incorporated, he said the Fifth Circuit Court's decision was a big step forward. He said his business plans to expand to sell in stores and at home parties, something company consultants have been fearful of doing because of the Texas law. He says, I think it's wonderful, but it does seem to me that since Texas was one of three states in the country, along with Mississippi and Alabama, that continue to outlaw the sale of sex toys and vibrators, that it was probably past time. Now, Alabama is in the 11th Circuit, and it's now unlikely that the law in Mississippi, which also is in the 5th Circuit, will be prosecuted, according to some legal experts. So those poor bastards in Alabama, they're the last people in the country under this, suffering under this 
particular legislation. You know, and it's just more proof of how convoluted and, and difficult to understand our legal system is. Because you know that those, uh, those southern states that still have, uh, what would you say, Mississippi? Mississippi and Alabama. Mississippi and Alabama will not take those laws off their books. Right. Their cops just won't enforce them. So therefore, if you were to spend your time reading all these laws and getting up, you know, make taking for um, taking seriously the uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse uh, nonsense that they have out there. Who takes that seriously? Then you read these these statutes. You think that that's in fact the law, but. You know, there's there's case law that trumps it. Mm-hmm. So but how do you know about the case how law? How do you know about that? Right. How does anybody know any you of this stuff? You couldn't possibly know. They don't even know it. There's a cop over on the NH Free Forums who's shown up recently. He's being very nice and uh, cooperative and answering a bunch of people's questions. Uh, but one of the things he admitted to was he doesn't know all the laws. Well, How gee, could he? How can you expect us to? All right, let's continue here. Uh, Louisiana, Kansas. You know, there was, I was talking to one at a uh, cell phone store down in uh, Florida, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, you know, that truck outside is idling, and then that's against the law to idle like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he had said that, and I'm like, how is anybody supposed to know all the laws? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. You know, yeah. he, didn't want, he didn't want to talk about sure. it. What was clear and obvious that nobody could possibly know that nonsense. Right, because he didn't want to have to admit to the fact that he doesn't know them. He only knows a few of them. More than the average person, for sure, but he only knows a percentage. Virginia's law, barring obscene items, is a bit different from other state laws and doesn't appear to apply to sex toy sales, according to one of the companies that distributes the toys. Louisiana, Kansas, Colorado, and Georgia had laws barring obscene devices, but the courts have since struck them down. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals struck down a Georgia law banning the advertising of sex toys, which can be sold under some approved circumstances. The Fifth Circuit Court's decision is encouraging for Sherry Williams, who's been fighting the issue in Alabama for a decade. Williams, who owns pleasure stores in Alabama, sued in 1998 after state lawmakers banned the sale of sex toys there. A year ago, she lost her fight again. What was she doing? Um, what was she selling then if, uh, if she's had a, the store for a decade? What's she been doing with her time? I don't know. Maybe she can sell videos? Videos, maybe lingerie? Yeah, probably some things that she can get away with, but whoa. Sex toys. Can't have anything with a motor in it. She could probably sell, um, you know, the, the personal massagers they sell at uh, mm-hmm. drugstores that, that don't look too <laughs> crazy. They just look like, you know, a massaging device. She right. could probably sell those. So a year ago, by the way, she lost her fight again when the U.S. Supreme Court refused to consider a lower court decision upholding the Alabama law as constitutional. So it almost sounds like the Supreme Court is somewhat friendly to it. They didn't want to consider the decision that upheld their sex toy ban as constitutional. So maybe these, uh, maybe the Fifth Circuit decision will be appealed. To the Supreme Court. Yeah. And where it looks like it'll, it would lose. It might. Who knows? You know, it's a, it's a coin flip on this one. Williams hopes that lawmakers will take notice of the recent Texas case and support a newly filed bill in the Alabama legislature to overturn the ban on adult, adult toy sales. She said, quote, I think the courts are finally listening to the people. You have Sex in the City, Desperate Housewives, and other shows promoting what society is doing. I think the courts have finally opened their eyes and looked around, which is a miracle here in the South. I'd agree with her. That's a tough fight, man. Be down in the, the heart of the bread basket and trying to fight for sexual freedoms. Whew. More power to her. Good luck. Yeah, that's not exactly the bread basket. It's more like the Bible Belt. Uh, bre- whatever. Bible mm. Belt, bread basket, I thought it was all the same. No, bread basket is uh, you know, the Midwest where they grow all the corn and the wheat. And I stuff. bet they're pretty repressed there, too. Yeah. 1-800-259-9231. And speaking of repression, 
There's actually a story here somewhere. I have to, I'll have to dig it up. Uh, but I, I saw a story in my email box suggesting that people who are spanked, yeah, here it is, spanking raises the chances of risky, deviant sexual behavior. Now, I'm not saying it's deviant to have a sex toy, but certainly there's some really weird preferences out there, and a quick internet search will reveal some of them to you if you've never done that. Uh, According to Health Day News, researchers have uncovered another damaging consequence of spanking. Risky sexual behaviors or even sexual deviancy when the child grows up. I don't know. Go ahead. I've got some. I've got some rebuts. According to Murray Strauss, a spanking expert who was expected to present the findings of four <laughs> studies at the American Psychological Association Summit on Violence and Abuse in Relationships, said this adds one more harmful side effect to spanking. I think it's pretty fow- powerful," said an assistant professor at uh, Michigan School of Social Work. It has crossed several studies and across different forms of either risky or deviant sexual behavior. Uh, one of them was the author of all four studies, hopes the findings will raise awareness among co- uh, child development experts, said my hopes to convince my colleagues they ought to put this in their textbooks. It's amazing. Something experienced by all American kids gets an average of half a page in child development textbooks, and not a single one comes to the conclusion that parents should never spank. Even the revered Dr. Spock, who was anti-spanking, never came right out and advised parents outright not to do it, he added. Instead, Spock advised avoiding it if you can. A meta-analysis of spanking studies conducted by uh, Gershaw found 93% agreement among studies that spanking can lead to such problems as delinquent and antisocial behavior in childhood along with aggression, criminal and antisocial behavior, and spousal or child abuse as an adult. See, here's, the, uh, here's where I'm going with this one. Okay. Um, more, the vast majority of people spank. Uh, would you go for 90%? I don't know, but I know a lot of people do. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take 90%. I'm just going out on a limb. Making, mm-hmm. making a number up here, people. So 9 out of 10 parents spank. Um, the parents that don't spank are, you know, they're, they're, they're putting a lot of thought into what they're doing. Uh, I, I would say that even spanking parents would say that some pa- parents spank when they shouldn't and that they, yeah. uh, they jump to it too quickly and, and that kind of thing. Now, I'm of the opinion that people should have... Uh, you know, spanking is something that I would certainly not outlaw, and I think that uh, in some cases with some children, uh, that it's. I just want to speak out against it because I think it's a bad idea. It's the sort of tool that a parent needs to have in their uh, in their parenting toolbox, as it were. But um, since most parents uh, spank, and then you're talking about these sort of lower, dumber, poorer parents that are going to spank. That therefore you're liable to get these um, deviance behaviors. You're talking about delinquency, sexual deviance. Oh, I don't know if it's lower, dumber, or poorer parents. In fact, you're right with your uh, 90%. It is, uh, in fact, 90% of U.S. parents that spank their toddlers. And there's a couple interesting percentages here as far as the people that were spanked versus those who were not spanked and how they treat their spouses. We'll get to those in moments. It's Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. They include the archives. So if you missed a moment of the show, just download them right from the front page of the website at freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. That's SACL CAI. 
We're talking spanking. And according to a new study, or actually a compilation of uh, several studies, a meta-analysis of spanking studies, uh, found that 93% agreement among studies that spanking can lead to such problems as delinquent and antisocial behavior in childhood, along with aggression, criminal and antisocial behavior, and spousal and child abuse as an adult. According to one of the experts, there's probably nothing else in child development that has a 93% agreement in results. 5% of people who have never been spanked hit their partners, versus 25% of those who were spanked frequently. So See, maybe I, a little bit of spanking, you know, you could probably get away with. But I think there's a there's a scale here. Normally when we talk about spanking, Mark, we usually get calls from people that use it very judiciously. Right. Use you it don't, only you don't get a call. For, you don't get calls from the, uh, the the trailer park saying, yeah, you got to hit to beat them kids in submission. Right. Hey, you, you don't get that. What right. you get are parents that, uh, you know, think about the spanking and administer it in that fashion. And this is that's the point that I'm trying to make here. And. And it's that, and I think that spanking parents would agree with me when uh, that you know that the idiots spank. You're not necessarily an idiot for spanking, but the idiots out there that have kids are more likely to spank. And they are legion. They are they spank. Makes sense. And therefore, um, their their kids are messed up due to the fact that their parents were idiots. It's good, probably true. Not because their parents spanked. Well, you know, uh, there is a spectrum here, and in fact, that's what the article goes on to point out. That you know, the more you spank, the more likely that your kid's going to have problems. So that's what I had. Th- I hadn't even read that part of the story, and I just sort of intuitively knew that if you use it very judiciously and only as a last resort and only do it while the child is young, then that's probably not going to do that much damage. But if you spank frequently and you spank on into a- an older age, for instance, then yeah, you're really going to mess your kid up. So here's the rest of the story here. Uh, this again from Health Day News. So we got tw- uh, 25% of those who are spanked frequently, uh, they abuse their partners, while only 5% of people who have never been spanked do. However, 90% of U.S. parents spank toddlers, according to Strauss. The review being presented at the meeting are the first to look at the relationship of spanking to sexual behavior. They found that spanking and other corporal punishment is associated with an increased probability of verbally and physically coercing a dating partner to have sex, risky sex, such as premarital sex without using a condom, and masochistic sex, such as spanking during sex. There's a dose response at work here. The more parents spank, the higher the probability of harmful side effects. Of course, there's a similar dose response for smokers. But if someone reaches the age of 65 without developing lung cancer, it doesn't mean that smoking isn't harmful. It means that person was one of the lucky ones. It's the same with spanking, they say. If a person says, I was spanked, and I don't have any interest in bondage and disciplined sex, that's correct, but it's not because spanking is okay. It's only because they're one of the lucky ones. And spanking a child once may be like picking up that first cigarette. The trouble is, if you have a two-year-old, you pretty soon decide you can't avoid it. The recidivism rate for whatever crime you correct a two-year-old for is about 50% in two hours. says, I've been researching corporal punishment for 30 years, and in the course of that time, the evidence has accumulated that it doesn't work any better than non-corporal punishment, but has harmful side effects. I've come to the conclusion that parents should never, ever spank, because although it does work, it's no better than non-hitting methods that don't have harmful side effects. If there was an FDA for spanking, they'd say, use an alternative that doesn't have harmful side effects. So, 
again, I would never call for it to be outlawed. I just think it's uncreative parenting. I think it's unnecessary. And I think that the evidence is clear here that it could lead to some serious problems down the line. And I think the number one reason for that is because it teaches kids that violence solves problems. The, The underlying message of spanking is you have done wrong. I'm going to hurt you so you don't do it again. If you see someone else doing what you think is wrong, then that's okay. You can hurt them too. And maybe they'll stop doing that behavior you don't like. Well, um, I, I have to disagree. I think it's a sickness. I disagree personally. with that because violence is force, right? Uninitiated mm-hmm. force. Um, you know, aggression. It's, uh, grabbing a toddler, um, you know, when you're trying to discipline them. Okay, time, to, time for time out. No! Can you imagine them saying that? Mm-hmm. Can you, oh, I, I can just imagine them saying, no! Oh, yeah, mister, you're going to sit in time out. No! Well, then what do you do? No food. <laughs> We're not training a dog, Ian. It works with dogs and cats. You, you, the kids, kids. kids don't eat anyway. It's hard enough to get them to eat, period. And then you don't feed them? <laughs> okay, look, you're going to get a lot more trouble from the authorities by not feeding your kid than you are by spanking them. You okay? feed them eventually. You just don't feed them what they like. I don't know. I'm not a parent, Mark. Don't ask me for solutions. I, I, don't think, I don't know that you can necessarily enforce that. All right. Well, no cookie for you um, for the rest of the week. A two-year-old doesn't know what the rest of the week is. I think that you have to use some kind of force against a child. And Sorry, I disagree. I mean, there are parents that have raised children. We've talked to them on this show in the past that had very challenging parental situations, as challenging as any of the other parents that have called in and said, I, I just couldn't take it. My kids were out of control. I had to spank. And there were some people that raised their kids successfully without spanking that managed spanking to deal with those and, situations. Spanking uh, and force and aggression are two different things. Um, to, some ex- you know, to some extent here, what you're talking about, look, you have to force the child to do its punishment anyway, which means grabbing the child, uh, picking them up, uh, putting them in the, the, you know, putting them back in timeout, back in timeout, back in timeout. What's the difference between using force against your child and teaching them that a big person can make a little person do what they want through force than um, spanking the child and teaching them that a big person can use violence to make a little person do what they want? Well, I think there is a difference. It may be, it may seem subtle to you, but I think there's a difference between what you're talking about, putting a kid in the corner versus picking them physically back up, beating putting them, them there, picking them back up, putting them there. What about when yeah, the parent I don't know loses, if that's that gets exasperated? Look, I don't know if it's the that. child gets a little shake. I don't personally Listen, think Mr. that. You know, I don't personally think that forcibly putting that person in a little person in a corner is necessarily a good solution either. I'm not advocating for that either. I think that you should give them incentives to uh, look. You either go into your corner right now, or you don't get dessert tonight. That's all. Who gives dessert? I don't, I don't eat dessert. Know. Do you? Kids like dessert. You you take something away that they like. You take something away that they appreciate, and then they. I'm trying behave. to raise Jack without sugar. Yeah. Okay. That's gonna be difficult to take away dessert. Well, there'll be something he likes. Maybe he'll like. I mean, you'll you'll let him eat fruit, right? That's got sugar in it. Fruit. Yeah. Okay. Well, you take away fruit whatever it is. is you figure out what the kid likes, fruit, whether it's fruit or whether it's candy or whether it's a Barney doll or whether it's you know whatever it is the kid likes. You figure out what it is and you threaten to remove that. That's all. It worked worked brilliantly with me, and I would love to hear from other parents out there that have suggestions, because Mark is among the very, very super majority of people in this country that believe that violence with their children at some point becomes necessary. And I have to say, I don't think it is. 
More coming up. You can take control of the airwaves. Bring up anything. 800-259-9231. You're like Oprah telling not to spank here. You have no kids. SACL CAI toll-free line. I was not spanked when I was brought up, except for, I think, once early on. My parents swore it off, and I'm glad they did. Uh, You can take control and bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. The toll-free number, 800-259-9231. The Sickle CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com, and those features include the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who've sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. Just go to shrine.freetalklive.com, see what it's all about, that's shrine.freetalklive.com. The Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is June 9th through the 15th. At Porkfest, you'll be able to expand your network of liberty-loving activists and tour New Hampshire on special FSP tour buses or on your own. Discover new freedoms, new communities, and new beginnings. Register today at porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. Porkfest.com. 1-800-259-9231. More evidence against spanking is what I'm reading off here. And, of course, Mark doesn't want to believe it because uh, he was spanked as a child and uh, believes that spanking can be effective and that it's a good thing uh, in certain circumstances. Now, you're not for spanking all the time first choice. You're for it being the last resort, correct, Mark? Uh, yeah, I think that it's um, in, in, in some circumstances it's called for. Do you consider it violence? No, not really. No? Correction. So, so hitting someone not considered being violent. Do you hit the cat? Did the, did the, did the kid hit you? Um, sometimes they do. Okay. Well, if somebody hits you, then defending yourself is another situation. I don't have to defend myself against a two-year-old. Well, then you shouldn't be hitting the two-year-old then. So if a two-year-old hits me, it's okay. It's not okay to hit him back. Uh, I would spank them. I wouldn't say necessarily that it is. No, I think that uh, you should avoid spanking your kids at all costs. And in go. fact, I'm not the only one. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a website here that I found during the break called StopHitting.com with helpful answers uh, for people who have questions. It's always the non-spankers out there that use terms like beat. Hit, yeah. strike, because that's what it is. You're physically hitting another person, a little person, who can learn to behave uh, with more creative endeavors. Let's go to your phone calls, though, and talk to Holly on the line on the amp line. Hello, Holly, in Tennessee. Hi, guys. Hey, hey. what's on your mind? Um, well, I want to talk to y'all about spanking. Okay. Um, I'm mom of a, a two-and-a-half-year-old and an 11-month-old, and uh, I used to spank, and I recently uh, changed my mind about it. Why <laughs> really? Um, yeah, well, I am, you know, from the South. I was uh, born and raised in the Bible Belt, and I was beaten with a leather belt every huh. time I was bad. So um, I kind of started out parenting, thinking that, you know, that's we were going to spank our children, and I am blessed with a very spirited two-and-a-half-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, and he... Um, he started doing the hitting thing, and so, um, I, you know, I realized with my husband, and I told him about this, that it just seemed really stupid for me to, you know, if you pushed his sister or hit her or something like that, for me to hit him and tell him, no, we don't hit. Mm. <laughs> kind of thing, you know, like, wow, that makes no sense. So, um, and I also realized that the more that we spanked him when he was bad, the worse he got. Mm-hmm. He he started hitting more. He started acting out more, more aggression, just completely 
lost cooperation with him. And um, then we found non-punitive discipline, and we, uh, and I'm admittedly uh, very new to the whole gentle parenting, and uh, so I'm still learning as I go. But, um, Give us some examples of what's different. How you yeah, tell me how are you handling a, a spirited two and a half year old without uh, hitting? What is g- gentle parenting? What uh, what is this you're talking about? Well, it is uh, where we do not spank, um, we do not use timeout, we uh, and and we do not bribe. <laughs> oh my God! What do you and do? <laughs> we teach. And that's I've, I've had a whole uh, paradigm shift in, in what mother means to me, and I see mother now more as being teacher. And when he's doing something that I don't like, um, I need to stop and think to myself, how do I teach him how we behave? And the uh, hi, sweetie, mom's on the phone. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, he's trying to come in the room. Um, we we talk about we we teach instead of hitting and one of the things that I, I've learned um, with the whole non-punitive discipline is that spanking doesn't teach anything. In fact, spanking when you spank your child, your the the reason behind it is you want them to stop whatever behavior they're doing, mm-hmm. and you want to inhibit that, and you want to teach them that that is not the right way to do something. And if you do it, this is the consequences. You're going to be spanked, and. The problem with that is that when you spank a child, all learning shuts down because they're thinking about the physical pain mm. that they're in. The same as, you know, any any standardized test that you may have ever taken, they have the rules of or the tips to help you pass a test and help you think better. And one of the things is, you know, you eat a healthy meal, a healthy breakfast, and yeah. you take a better test. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if you're not concentrating on your physical discomfort, then um, you are that are able to take a test. Well, the same applies to, you know, if you're trying to teach your child a lesson, you don't want them to be in physical pain because they're not thinking about the lesson. They're thinking about the fact that you just hit them. Yep. That's a great point. So the, you know, the only lesson they'll get is that if I do this again in mommy's uh, viewpoint or it, within her purview, she will, uh, she'll attack me. So I'm not going to do it in front of her. I'm just going to be sneakier about it in the future or something like I'm that. I'm not sure that right. that necessarily it, is, is it the case. You know, you know, What's some, not the case? Some of the lo- lessons in life that I've learned uh, the best accompan- were accompanied with pain. And uh, you know negative consequences. That doesn't mean that you couldn't learn those lessons without the pain. You could still have negative consequences that don't involve violence and hitting your child. It wasn't always violence. It sometimes was just pain. Whatever it doesn't have to involve pain. Holly, uh, Mark, do you have a question? I, I'm listening. What's up? Um, okay, um, were you talking about and involving pain? And I'll, um, if if spanking works, why do you have to do it more than once? I, I would ask the same question about teaching, uh, you know, talking to your yeah. child about their problem. Okay. I don't know. Um, I've never had to likely, spank a child, I, it, honestly. I, I can't tell you. Uh, but uh, are you planning on it? I, at this point, I don't know. I mean, I've, I I would prefer not to have to spank Jack ever. But at the same time... Right, I, so visit StopHitting.com and start learning about alternative methods so you can internalize them now, Mark. That way, when a situation finally does come up where you're tempted to spank, you can immediately think, oh, wait, I know some alternative methods I should try before I go this direction. Learn about the alternatives. As Holly's saying here, and this, as the studies show, spanking, while it can be successful in achieving uh, the... Uh, the, the the stopping of the behavior you're looking to stop, at least for a, a time, it's as successful as many of the other methods, and the other methods don't involve violence. Now, um, here's a question I have for you, Holly. If what you're you're teaching, uh, what's your son's name? 
the sun? I'd care not to say. Okay. <laughs> well, Jimmy, you're teaching little Jimmy there his uh, that we don't hit. Um, rather than teaching him that, perhaps you could teach him what really happens in the real world, which is if you hit somebody, somebody bigger, stronger um, than you that makes the rules is going to come along and punish you, in some cases, physically. Right. Well, right now he lives in my house, and I make the rules. So as far as... Uh, you know, who's in charge as far as his, you know, perception, mommy's in charge. And um, I I want him to feel safe with me. I don't want him to fear me. Understood. And that was, that was I, I'm, I'm from the South, and, and corporal punishment is very, very deeply ingrained. Oh, in, yes, it is. Here. They do not, uh, they don't want to give up the, the spanking. So, um, you know, I, I was brought up in that, and... Um, I just I I feared my mother and I lied to my oh. mother to avoid the pain yep. of, of what happened. I did I wasn't truthful with her because I knew the consequences, and I don't want my children to fear me. I want them to feel safe. I want to be the safe person. You know what, Holly? It was them. a brilliant call, and thank you for making it tonight and chiming in. Glad to always hear from a parent that has used alternative methods successfully. Uh, and, and as she said, she started spanking, then she realized that's not what she wanted for her for her children. And I, th- I think her final point there was brilliant in that... Made some good points. You know, she felt negatively towards her mother for all the spanking she received. And I can't imagine well, how I would feel towards uh, my parents. Fear, uh, you, you know, I, I, can, I can totally see how fear would cause a child to lie. That's why children... You know, to, that's why I can remember lying when I yeah. told lies That's what lot. it says here on StopHitting.com is that spanking can make kids sneaky. Uh, and they give you some alternative methods, including, uh, well, we can look into this a little bit here, including some of the alternative methods. Uh, she used the term bribe, though I think incentive is probably a better word. Reward systems, those are, that's a good idea. That's not necessarily a bribe. Uh, it's, I think incentives are one of the most powerful things you can give to kids. I wish we could have gotten her to repeat her little parenting system that she was using there again. To repeat it again? Well, yeah, she had some terminology that I've, has now oh. left me. Well, there's an archive for that, Mark. 800-259-9231, you take control. Bring up anything. I do. It's Free Talk Live. (laughs) This is Free Talk Live, and it is your show. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. If you like the show want to help support Free Talk Live, then you can join the AMP program. Go to amp.freetalklive.com to get on board. It'll cost you 3 bucks a month. And what we do is we take that money in and reinvest it into the show, get on more radio stations across the country, as well as uh, bring more Internet listeners on board, thereby more people being exposed to the message of freedom. So get on board and get some perks like access to the amp lines. Holly was just on one of them. Uh, Plus, we've got the amp-only chat room and forum where there's a a spirited debate going on right now in the chat room over spanking, which is uh, the topic on the table at the moment. Of course, we'd love to hear from you, whether you are in favor of spanking or you're in favor of alternative nonviolent methods to discipline your youngsters, 1-800-259-9231, or bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live, after all, and you can uh, talk about what you want. But I stumbled as I was Googling around about spanking across a, a website with some solutions for a lot of the questions that people ask when 
the the story, when the issue of spanking comes up, people will bring up, well, what about toddlers and how do I deal with this situation? And and I had suggested before. Remember, I'm not a parent. I've done a bare minimum of research on this, but I know that my parents successfully raised me without spanking me, and I know that Holly, she has uh, moved away from spanking her children because she has learned that it's not going to do anything to uh, positively affect them, that you can teach them lessons without using violence, without using force on them in that way. And, Mark, you said that, well, you don't think you should treat a kid like a pet, but I'm looking here at some of these solutions that they've got at StopHitting.com. But you and, hit your pet. Well, I've actually stopped doing that now because uh, I realized that that was not something I should be doing, that I should be using the techniques that I had learned about with a, with a dog, uh, with the cat, and that is that uh, when the cat does something that you don't want, like biting you, you ignore it as you would do with the dog doing something you don't want. And indeed, the ignoring uh, is one of the, the one of the answers here on a question... Uh, question help my two-year-old throws tantrums and it's driving me crazy answer two-year-olds are learning to express anger and frustration because their language is limited no and tantrums are likely to occur on a regular basis sometimes you can see the child starting to get worked up that's your cue to turn her energy to a new activity the child may be hungry or tired spanking may bring quick compliance but the child doesn't learn the behavior you want Spanking builds anger and resentment and provides a model for hitting to solve problems. Often you can ignore no. Behavior you pay attention to increases. When the child exhibits tantrums, keep a distance and try to talk about the problem. Allow her to calm down and to explain why she's angry. Even if she isn't able to do that well, you can start showing her that you expect that you can start showing her that you expect that she'll do as she, what she'll do as she gets older. Don't give in to the child or you will teach her to get away through get her way through tantrums. If quietly talking at a distance doesn't that much, work... That much, I think, uh, most people would agree with. You may have to put the child in another part of the room or somewhere you can see and hear her while you pretend to ignore the behavior. It usually works within a short time. Reward your child for doing what you like. It, in this case, it is for using words to get what he wants. Good rewards are a hug, a kiss, a smile, and a verbal thanks for using words. And that's a system that you use with pets. When a pet be, you know, behaves correctly and does what you want it to, you reward it. You pet it. You give it a treat. You tell it's a good kitty or a good dog. And in this case, the same technique here. If the child is doing something you want, you reinforce the good behavior with, with rewards. And bribe is not the correct word for that. Incentive would be the correct word. They talk earlier in... Uh, so is this a parenting uh, uh, website or a pet website? No, it's a parenting website, but I'm just noticing some uh, some similarities because I have done research on on raising uh, pets, and I am seeing some similarity uh, similarities here. Uh, oh, you know what? The outlaw puppeteer has been on the line, and I forgot about him. So we're gonna just stop the spanking discussion for a moment and go to the phones to New Hampshire. And Dave, you're on the line. Hello there. Hey guys. Hey, what's on your mind? How do you know it wasn't a different outlaw puppeteer? Well, I suppose there could have been another, but so far you're the only one with the uh, the cojones to do it for cash and violate the New Hampshire outlaw p- or the uh, p- uh, the anti puppeteering law that they have in this at the state level in New Hampshire. Oh, it doesn't take much cojones because they don't enforce it. But we are trying to draw attention to the fact that there are so many bad laws out there that they do enforce, and they've got an opportunity to repeal them, and they've been sort of turning that opportunity down. So. The point we're trying to make is we want them to start repealing laws mm-hmm. seriously, and uh, that's what we'll be doing tomorrow. We're doing 
Outlaw Puppeteer Round 2. Instead of breaking just one law, we'll be breaking two. Okay, what's that mean? Well, the second law, well, first we're breaking this law, this kind of outdated law that says you cannot puppeteer for profit without a license. Do you know the, sto- the backstory on that um, that law, how, how they ever came up with this? I mean, you say it's outdated, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if there was just not an incident. I, I don't know. My understanding is it dates back to 1850, and it has to do with sort of stopping showmen, circuses, that sort of thing. Gotcha. And uh, there must have been a lot more of them back then than there are now. Well, sure. people people were probably making money without giving the state a cut, and they got upset about that. That's my guess. Yeah. So go but, ahead. Uh, the second law uh, so, will be? So we'll, so we'll violate that again, but the second law we're going to violate this time is another one that's been kind of a sore spot, and that is you're supposed to have a permit to demonstrate at the state house. Mm. And this one is sort of enforced, so we're going to be on state house grounds completely this time. Because last time you were on the right-of-way by the road, which technically wasn't the state house grounds? Right. We were just violating one law. Gotcha. But this time we'll be violating a second law, although I'm not sure if it's a law or just some sort of regulation, rule, ordinance, not sure exactly, but uh, the two government rules that we'll be violating and nothing else. And this second one, yeah, is more a little bit more uh, controversial because they really do come out of the state house immediately when they see you doing anything that looks like demonstrating hmm. on the house grounds, and they ask if you've got a permit. You have so, a permit. Uh, they'll do that to us tomorrow, I'm sure. Oh, wait, this is tomorrow? I missed that point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Second, second round is tomorrow, uh, roughly 2 o'clock. Cool. I'm glad you're keeping the frequency up, uh, because la- it was just last week when you'd done the first Outlaw Puppeteering event, and here it is another week. You're going out. In fact, I think it's less than a week. Wasn't it Wednesday when you did it before, or was it Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. I think it would be six days. So you've announced yeah, this. We, uh, you've announced it to all the New Hampshire media and all that, as you did before. Yes, excellent. We can't do we can't do it any later than that because the state house is going to sort of go into hibernation mode pretty soon. Oh, I see. Very good. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I hope to hear from you. Uh, hopefully, you won't be in a jail cell tomorrow. Although you said last time you were hoping to be arrested, are you still hoping to uh, to be arrested? Yeah, it'd be better to be arrested tomorrow. Why would you but, say you it's know. better to be arrested? What would, what would be the reason for saying that? Well, just because it draws more attention to the issue. I see. And the issue is too many laws. It's real simple. Yes, too many asinine laws in addition to that. And, uh, Dave, best of luck tomorrow. Thank you for calling, and thanks for your patience tonight, as I forgot you were on the line. Uh, so hopefully we'll Dave, hear... what's the sentence for uh, outlaw puppeteering? Dave oh, there? I think it's a misdemeanor up to a year in jail. A year in jail? Yeah, well, they're not going to do that. Well, up to, but I don't know if that, I doubt that's what they would really do. Like, so they don't want to... They don't want to enforce that puppeteering law. If they're going to arrest me, it would probably be for something else. Very good, Dave. Good each luck. Time, each time, yeah, each time we do this, we're going to probably violate an additional law. So Ooh, I like that. Laws, that sounds like fun. I wish I could be there, and uh, good luck, and I'm sure you'll have a report at the Ridley Report or at RidleyReport.com, right? I already do. Excellent, Dave. Thank you, sir. Have a good hey, night. Guys. 800-259-9231. Okay, changing gears back to the spanking discussion here. Uh, met StopHitting.com, where there's a lot of lo- a whole page full of questions. And I this is only the first page I've been looking at here, and there's a lot of good information. Question, I'm a student teacher. An 11-year-old kid kept getting in trouble at school, and his mom has trouble keeping him under control. There's no father in his house, and the boy's a very angry kid. I suggested mom take away the TV, video game, stereo, etc., so there'd be no distractions. I came up with my restricted luxuries plan as an alternative to spanking him. What do you think? Answer, your ideas sound sensible. You might also suggest an incentive chart for chores. It can help him get organized at home. It helps his mom, and it can help him get positive attention. 
Here's how to do it. He and mom together make up a list of things that need to be done in the home. They post this list on the refrigerator. Each day, he checks the list, does his chore, and makes an X next to it showing that it was done. At the end of the week, if he completes all of his chores, mom and he can do something special together, like have a special dinner of his choice. He can get an extra couple of hours of TV on the weekend or whatever else has been agreed upon in advance as a reward. Uh, are you doing anything in class to help him with anger management, or can the school counselor or psychologist help him out with that? I just uh, I like the reward system, and this is also something that I learned was very effective at a young age. Uh, I had a little star chart with my parents, and there's no reason why, if it didn't work then, it couldn't work with an older uh, child, in that my parents wanted certain behavior out of me. I got little gold stars when I did the right thing, and if I got enough gold stars, I'd get some special reward at the end of that time. And man, did that feel good to get that reward and uh, get that positive reinforcement. So instead of just having alternative methods of discipline, you also want to have methods of enforcing or uh, reinforcing positive behaviors. And so I think this StopHitting.com website pretty useful. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. We'll see you tomorrow night online in the meantime, freetalklive.com. The cynic says, I started losing my hair and there was nothing I could do. I wore a baseball cap because I was self-conscious. The believer says, I started using Avacor two months ago and already I'm regrowing my own hair. My bald spot is going. No caps for me. Are you a cynic? Avacor's formula is FDA approved to regrow your own hair in as little as two months. Avacor's topical formula contains the only ingredient approved by the FDA to regrow hair without risk of sexual side effect. Call right now and ask about getting a free month supply of Avacor and receive Boost just for trying Avacor. Boost can make your hair visibly thicker with its first application. Call 1-800-451-8920. That's 1-800-451-8920. This is a limited time offer, so call now. Call 1-800-451-8920. 1-800-451-8920 or log on to avacorradio.com.